the summer series starts today. And we are preaching on the book of Psalms, but with a title of Outrageous Worship. This is going to be good. So what I want to do first is I want to read something to you. Okay, This is part of a prophetic word. It's only part of it because if I read all of it, it's two, two pages long. It's huge. So I just wanted to read you this bit. And uh, this was from a guy called Julian Adams, who uh, has a proven uh, prophetic ministry track record. Uh, he prophesied this on the 6th of July, 2014. And this is part of it. And so, Jubilee Church, I want you to understand today, says the Lord, that you will usher in my reign in the context of outrageous worship. That what will mark this church in this season, what will shift the atmosphere in this season, what will replace spiritual strongholds will come from the place of outrageous worship. So get ready, for I am redefining you. For the place that you dwell in the spirit is too small. I'm taking you to a much larger space. I'm taking you to a much larger place. And even as the prophets built along the River Jordan, the place of promise, even so I am calling you to build with the promises I have spoken over you, for now is the season of fulfilment. As we looked at the book of Psalms, we felt actually this ties in really well with what Julian brought in this prophetic statement here, this prophetic word. And so I'm kicking that off today. I'm going to do a short introduction to the series, and then we'll look at one of the Psalms. So, firstly, prophetic words. Let me just mention that. Prophetic words are not scripture. We know that. But they are important and given by God. It's a gift that God gives to people, and, and, and the way God speaks to people to encourage us and to build us up and to take us forward. But what we do with prophetic word is we weigh it. I don't know whether you've seen those old-fashioned scales where you put something on one side and weights on the other and get them to balance. Well, it's a bit like that. We put the prophetic word on one side, we put scripture on. Not so they can balance because they're equivalent. Okay, Scripture always takes precedence, but actually we weigh it against scripture and say, does this add up? Does this weigh up? Does this make sense? Does it, it, does it fit with Scripture? And so in a sense, as we go over this series of Psalms, we are doing this with this part of the prophetic word on outrageous worship. Now, we're not going to look at the whole book of Psalms over the summer. That would be ridiculous, because if you know the book of Psalms, it's huge. I don't think we'd even get through Psalm 119 over the summer, because that in itself is so huge. Um, so we're not looking at all of it, We're going to look at some of it in the light of this phrase of outrageous worship. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, when someone says to you, outrageous worship, what may first come into your head, it came into mine, was when the Ark of the Covenant is being brought back into Jerusalem and David just celebrates and dances before God in a linen ephod. Some translations say a loincloth. It was actually a linen ephod, which did cover more than a loincloth would have done. But it was outrageous in what he did, because he wasn't, wasn't the priestly garb that he should have been wearing to welcome in the presence of God. He was just abandoned in worship. That might be what you think of, although that's not in Psalms, so we're not going to talk about that really. But it might be what you think of in terms of outrageous worship. Arms and legs everywhere, dancing, jumping around, losing the plot a little, maybe. I don't know. 
But what I want to show you, and I think what we will see over the coming weeks, is that outrageous worship is far wider than that. It's much bigger than that. And that's not just an excuse for me not to talk about dancing. Because as you know, I'm just useless at it. So I don't bother. Um, But it's much wider than that. And we're going to show you that over the coming weeks. Now the book of Psalms is an amazing book. It's actually five books. There are a lot of songs in there. So hymns, prayers, poetry, what today we might call spoken word. I don't get that poetry spoken. I don't think that's the same, but there we go. I'm open to be proved different. Um, They were written by many different people. David wrote over half of them. The ones David wrote would have been around 1000 BC, 1000 years before, before Christ, with some thought to have been written up to 300 years earlier than that. And some may be written 500 years later than that. They're incredibly personal a lot of the time too, with the writers expressing many different emotions. There are different kinds of psalms. You've got a lament, which is sorrowful. You've got thanksgiving. You've got penitence, asking for forgiveness. You've got royal psalms, messianic psalms, psalms really about Jesus. You've got imprecatory psalms which are psalms asking for vengeance on enemies. You've got psalms full of wisdom. It's always good to know what kind of psalm you're reading when you're studying it, so you can interpret it correctly. So that's where we're heading, into this amazing book of psalms. And also in the context of outrageous worship that Julian brought to us in that prophetic word. Now, that's all the introduction I'm going to do. Otherwise, I'm going to run out of time for actually speaking about a psalm. So today, we're going to look, if you want to look it up, at Psalm 139. And what I want to do today is talk about outrageous worship in the context of the marketplace. What I mean by marketplace, you might have heard that that phrase before, is, is basically the rest of our lives where you are, at work, at school, at university, at home, with the kids, whatever you do during your week, whatever fills your time, it's outrageous worship in the context of that. So let's read Psalm 139, after all those noisy motorbikes have passed. We'll read Psalm 139, and then we'll get into it. It says this, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, Even the darkness is not dark to you. 
The night is bright as the day, for darkness is as light with you. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. I awake and I am still with you. Oh, that you would slay the wicked, O God. O men of blood, depart from me. They speak against you with malicious intent. Your enemies take your name in vain. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord? And do I not loathe those who rise up against you? I hate them with complete hatred. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the everlasting. What a psalm. You couldn't just read that and go, I think I need to worship God. Reading it is worship. Having those thoughts in your head is worship. This is one of David's psalms. David wrote this. I'm sure you're familiar with it. It's a song just praising God for what he's done for the way he is, his closeness, his intimate knowledge of you. It's also a psalm where David says, but people oppose me. But because they oppose me, God, they oppose you. I want you to sort them out. There's an imprecatory element in there. God knows us. He knows everything about us. He knows where we've come from. He knows about us before we were born. He knows where we're going. Then in verse 7, it says, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? We are a people of the presence of God. We're presence carriers. Where can I go from your presence? Nowhere. Because where I go, your presence goes with me. That's what David is saying here. And that is us too. Wherever we go, God's presence is with us. Verse 10 Even there, even everywhere, your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. We benefit from the presence of God being with us all of the time. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's a great comfort. But how do we link this with the prophetic word and with our everyday lives, the marketplace, where we go, where we are? So in that prophetic word, there was a statement that says, you will usher in my reign in the context of, of outrageous worship that breaks strongholds, will shift the atmosphere. Well, let's look. I love doing this. I like to look at the two words and see what does the dictionary say about outrageous worship? What do those words mean? So outrageous, there's a num- there are a number of definitions for this. So it says this, of the nature of or involving gross injury or wrong grossly offensive to the sense of right or decency, passing reasonable bounds, intolerable or shocking, violent in action or temper, highly unusual or unconventional, extravagant 
It's what the dictionary says about the word outrageous. What about the word worship? I think we'll be more familiar with this one. It says reverent honour and homage paid to God or a sacred personage or to any object regarded as sacred or formal or ceremonious rendering of such honour and homage. So they attended worship this morning. They attended a time to honour. When we look at that word outrageous, it seems to be that most of the definitions are negative. And uh, you kind of think, well, oh, how does that stack up? Negative things with worship? Well, actually, I hope to show you that some of those things may be the case with our worship. The word worship we're familiar with. Um, but what we need to understand is that what we've just done this morning, which is often referred to as worship, uh, when we sing together, is massively important, but worship is wider than that. Worship isn't just what we do here on a Sunday for a few minutes, although it is vitally important. Our corporate worship together is, is necessary. It's vital. We have to do it. We need to do it. It's so important. But worship is much, much wider than that. In verse 7 of the psalm, Uh, that we read it says where can I go from your presence because we carry God's presence with us everywhere it means everywhere we go we can be worshippers everywhere we go we can worship God there is nowhere that you go that you cannot worship God nowhere John chapter 4 verses 19 to 24 Jesus is talking to a woman in a place called Samaria And he's just told her, I I love this, he's just told her all sorts of stuff about her that he wouldn't have already known. And she comes out with a blinder of a line. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. (laughs) Brilliant. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. She's clever. He is. (laughs) But then she goes on to say, our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say, so our fathers, the, the people of Samaria, in one mountain, but you say, the Jews... Worship in Jerusalem. And Jesus said this to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. What Jesus is saying is a time will come where it doesn't matter where you are, you can worship wherever you are. It's not about place. It's not about a a, a place, a geographical place. It's about your place in the spirit. It's about your place in Jesus. That is what means, that that is why we can worship wherever. The place doesn't matter. Jesus is agreeing with Psalm 139. Your presence is everywhere. Where can I go where your presence is not? We are presence carriers but what that doesn't mean is when you go to work tomorrow you have to stand and sing like this to your colleagues you can if you want i'm not going to just so you know um so when i say we worship wherever we are what i don't mean is we're necessarily singing to people you might you can it's a shame some people say you can just do it yeah But actually, if we remember the dictionary definition of the word worship, it means to bring honour. So when you go into work tomorrow to 
You won't go to school if you're at school. Some of you who are teachers won't go to work tomorrow. It's not fair. Um, But when you're out and about tomorrow, when you're doing what you're doing, you will be carrying the presence of God with you and you can bring honour to God. You can worship him. And there are so many different ways to do that. So how you treat your colleagues at work. Is it in a way that honours God? How do you use your money this week? Is it in a way that honours God? How do you use your time this week? Is it in a way that honours God and brings worship to him? Because you are carrying his presence. Mark chapter 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the treasury. This was the treasury at the temple uh, where people brought their offerings. And he watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums. And a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called uh, his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put everything she had, all she had to live on. That was an outrageous act of worship. She worshipped God in a way that the others weren't. There was something more that she was doing. She knew the presence of God was with her as she put that offering in. She was worshipping God in a way that was outrageous because she'd got nothing left. She was all in. Think about the things you do especially when you're around people who don't know Jesus. Are the things you do and the way you treat people honouring to God, are they acts of worship? Because they can be and they should be. But what about this outrageous part? In that prophetic word, it says that um, our outrageous worship will be the thing that ushers in God's reign that breaks down strongholds, that changes the atmosphere. What is God's reign? Well, it's his rule and authority. It's God's kingdom. We can bring in the kingdom of God. What does that mean? Well, part of what that means is seeing people saved and added to the church. We can see people saved and added to the church, bring in his reign, his influence, change the atmosphere by our acts of worship to him when we're out and about and around other people. That is what can happen. That is what should be happening around us. You can change the atmosphere. We can change the atmosphere. We can change the agenda through our stance before God in the workplace, in the shops, out and about with people. But how is that outrageous? Actually, in the context we're in, the things we do, it's often actually very easy to be considered outrageous. The thing that will be most obvious to people around you is the way you treat others, the way we treat people. When you're amongst people and they harm you, but you don't harm them back, that is worship. When at work people are stabbing one another in the back and you don't do it, that honours God. 
That is an act of worship. We speak well of people. We don't bring people down to try and further ourselves. That's an act of worship. And actually that is outrageous, given the context that you're in. We can treat people with extravagant praise. We can be extravagantly thankful. I was in a team meeting recently, and it was really good because... um, Someone who's not in our team was spoken about by others in the team meeting and they were saying how brilliant she was. I I thought this is really refreshing and it was really good. And they were saying, you know, this place wouldn't run without her. She's obviously definitely not paid enough, whatever she's on. She's brilliant. So the next day, I went up to her and I said, uh, oh, your, your name came up in our team meeting yesterday. Her immediate reaction was, oh no, what have I done? But that's the context, that's the atmosphere that we live in. And actually it was really nice to be able to say, actually no, your name was spoken of highly. People people were saying in our meeting, you are brilliant, that they are thankful that you are here, that you are so helpful. And it changed the atmosphere. We can do that. We change the atmosphere as we bring the way God has changed us into it because we know he's with us. Psalm 139 says, he is with us wherever we go. As you do these things, God is with you and you're worshipping him. One of the definitions of outrageous is that it can is, is something that is offensive. Is there something offensive about our worship? Actually, there can be. We worship one God the God, the only God. We read the Bible and say that is the way. It talks about Jesus who is the only way to the Father. Some people find that offensive. I kind of get why. It can sound arrogant. Obviously, we don't say it in a way that comes across as arrogant, I hope, but some people will always interpret it that way. When you are saying there's only one God, that is worship, people will be offended. It's the way it goes. (laughs) We can't take that away. People were offended by Jesus. The way we use our money, some people just cannot fathom the way Christians use their money and do things. Some would see that as passing reasonable bounds, which is one of the dictionary definitions. The woman who gave her money at the temple. Outrageous worship. You might say, well, that's irresponsible because that's all you've got to live on. No, she was saying, I know my God and I'm all in. Outrageous act of worship. You might look around (laughs) the car park at work. I do this. And you see the Porsches. And I think, if I didn't give, I could have one of those. (laughs) In theory. I look at the amazing, expensive flash holidays people go on, my colleagues. And I think, well, if I didn't give, I could do that. I think that sometimes. Am I the only? No, not just me. That's reassuring. 
But actually, I give as an act of worship. People don't get it. I turn up in my 13-year-old car. It's still going, so why change it? What a waste of money to change it. But people don't get it. But actually, the way you use your money can be an act of worship. The things you sacrifice can be an act of worship. You know, it says, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. It means you put away your own things and you worship God. And that has a... I, the, some of the conversations I've had with people at work about these things are amazing. What you choose to give your time to. I sometimes chat to people at work and they say, yeah, I'm going to go home. I'll open a beer. I'll put my feet up. And that happens most nights. Oh, yeah, I've got nothing planned for this week. Wow. My diary doesn't look like that. There's meetings. There's things to do. There's things I want to do. We use our time differently as Christians to worship God, to serve him. It's an act of worship. But as you talk about these things, in the knowledge that God is with you, that he knows everything that's going on inside you, as the psalmist told us, these acts of worship that are open in front of the people we're with, it will change the atmosphere. People's lives will change. And you will find people are coming to you to talk to you because they see something different. You're a presence carrier. I found that over the years I've had equal parts uh, admiration and outrage over some of the things that I've done and said. I had a conversation with a colleague once about priorities and he was outraged when I said I put God before my family. Outraged. He said, I, what? He said, surely family's always got to come first. No, I put God first, because if I put God first, then I know I'll treat my family better. He didn't get it. Obviously, he wouldn't. Why, why should he understand that? But it had a massive impact on him. It invites questions. And when people start, start asking questions, it invites the opportunity for the gospel. We can change the atmosphere. We can change what happens. We can be outrageous worshippers wherever we are. We carry the presence of God with us, which will be outrageous in many contexts that we are in. We carry God, carry the presence of God with us wherever we go. So let's start to conclude. We can be outrageous worshippers all of the time. Wherever God has put you, he's put you there so you can worship him and change the atmosphere. But you will find that at times it brings opposition. You can see that from Psalm 139 where David was being opposed. You can see he's being opposed. David dedicated his life to God. He worshipped God. And we'll see that as we look at the book of Psalms over the summer. But what you need to know is as you worship God in the marketplace, as you, as, you, as you live out that presence of God in the marketplace, wherever you are, 
you will have opposition. We do need to stand strong. We need to stand with one another. That's why we have life groups. Because actually that time in the week where we draw together and take strength from one another is so important. And again, we worship together in those contexts. But he brings, David brings that opposition and asks God to deal with it. I'm not suggesting that you ask God to slay your enemies. And I'm not getting into that bit right now. I've kind of skipped that bit. That's convenient, isn't it? Don't have time. Um, I'm sorry. But actually, what we do want is for, to say, God, change those who oppose you. Those people that hate you, change them. Jesus said, love your enemies. So actually love them to change them. Love them. But actually say, God, those who hate you, I want to see them change. Because actually, the whole reason for me doing this, talking about this, talking about it in the context we are and the places we are, is that I want to see people saved and added to the church. I want to see people worshipping in this place alongside us on a Sunday who don't now know God. That's what I want to see. But to see that, we need to influence people. How are they going to hear if we don't tell them? How are they going to know who God is unless we demonstrate that? And we demonstrate that through our outrageous acts of worship. By the way we are, by the way we treat people, by the way we use our time and our money and all sorts of things. Those are just a few examples. You can come up with way more stuff than that, I'm sure, in the way that you are with those who don't know Jesus. That is what we want to see. That is what fires us up, isn't it? That is what we want to see God do. God has put you where you are for a reason. It's no accident. Even if you don't like the place you work or the place you are at or you don't like the fact that you're not working somewhere, wherever God's put you right now is where he wants you and wants you to worship him. And we can also draw comfort from Psalm 139 because it shows that God made us. He knows how we work. He knows how everything works within us physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And he's made us to be worshippers of him with our bodies and with our emotions and by the spirit. He put us together and he knows. So when we do face opposition, if we're not in a place that we're quite happy with, he knows. And he wants you to be carrying his presence in that situation and worshipping him in that situation. So we should be dedicating our lives to worshipping him wherever we are. Even if it provokes outrage or opposition. And in doing so, we will have an impact on those around us. We will usher in God's reign, his kingdom into the places we live, into the places we work and play. Everywhere we go we can usher in the kingdom of God. Can we stand together? I want to pray for us before we completely finish. So I don't know what situation you're in in terms of work, what opposition you're feeling, how happy you are with it. 
whether you haven't got work and you want work, whether you're meeting up with people over the holidays who don't know Jesus, whatever your situation, I want to pray that uh, God brings to mind by his spirit ways that you can worship him. Father God, I thank you that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. I thank you that it's you that put us together, that you know everything about us and you've put us in the situation we are in to be outrageous worshippers of you. Lord, we want to be that. We want to do that. We want to be people who are just all in for you, like like the, the woman who gave her money at the temple, who gave everything. Lord, we, we put everything on the line for you. We say we are all in, in worshipping you, in living for you, in being outrageous for you. We are all in. And so, God, wherever we are, please show us how we can be presence carriers in that place, how we can bring in your reign, your kingdom in that place. Father, give us opportunities to speak the gospel to people, to show your good news, to show how they can be worshippers of you too. Lord, we we all want want to see more and more people worshipping you. And Lord, I pray where opposition comes, you will help us deal with it well. Lord, where opposition is coming to people already, I pray you will be in that situation and you will break open that situation for people. That even this week, as people go into into battlegrounds, that you will give them victory and breakthrough. That you will demolish strongholds as you have spoken to us that you will do. Lord, we're desperate to see you act. We want to see you change people's lives, our lives and the lives of those around us. I pray you will do that and use our acts of worship to do that. Father, help us be creative in the way we worship you. Help us to learn this summer how we, how we do that, how we do that well. Father, we want to know, we want to learn. We want to, to learn more of you and more of how we can be effective for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.